This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Let's go. Give me a vacation. Vacation! Give me a golf course. 70 courses! Let's get a water sport. Can I get excursions? We're watching. Time for chill vibes. Beach yoga. How about a garden tour? Mount Park. Give me a dolphin. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employers respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Anne Reese. And uh, this is this is the promised, long-awaited follow-up to our sugar episodes about sweeteners which are not sugar. Yes. Those artificial sweeteners. Artificial sweeteners. What could they be? Oh, a lot of things, as it turns out. Oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> they even showed up in our Miracle Berry episode. Uh-huh. Um, so if, if you want to check that one out, it's pretty interesting. But artificial sweeteners, what are they? Ooh, what are they? <laughs> they sometimes go by the name sugar substitutes, and that's pretty much what they are. Um, something you use instead of sucrose, a.k.a. table sugar, to sweeten things. They're typically sweeter than sugar by anywhere from 200 to 20,000 times, so you need less to pack the same sweet punch. For this reason, they are also sometimes called high-intensity sweeteners. Ooh, intense. Yeah. And if you remember from our Miracle Berry episode, artificial sweeteners in the U.S. are regulated by the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, including the four heavy hitters, aspartame, which goes by NutraSweet, Sugar Twin, and Equal, Sucralose, or Splenda, Saccharin, Sweet and Low, and Cyclomate, which is not available in the U.S., but it is available still in 100 other countries. Yes. Mm-hmm. The FDA has also approved for general use Asulfame, Sunnit, Neotame, Nutame, or D-Tagatose, Sugary, um, Adventame, 
and two natural low-calorie sweeteners, stevia and monk fruit extracts. The distinction here is between FDA-approved food additives that have gone through review before being put on the market and products that are generally recognized as safe. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and that GRAS designation means that science has been done to test the product's safety and that the research has been made public. Companies are free to do this research and release GRAS notices with or without involvement from the FDA. And the FDA can choose to either leave the notices be or challenge them. Mm, Okay. Well, here's a question that I have had. How can it be zero calorie, Lauren? Well, uh, foods that contain zero calories are um, things that our bodies don't digest or, or metabolize. By that definition, they're, they're kind of not food at all, but rather something that interacts with our taste bud nerves or that has some other effect that we want that, that explains why we're eating not food. Okay. Um, some artificial sweeteners aren't actually zero calorie. They're like a number approaching zero calorie. <laughs> okay. In the United States, anything under five calories per serving can be labeled as zero calorie due to laws giving companies an, an honestly fair amount of wiggle room in, in labeling their calorie counts. Okay. Artificial sweeteners are made up of compounds that trigger the, the sweet nerve sensors in our taste buds, but most of them are not metabolized by our bodies either at all or at an efficient rate. Add to that the fact that these compounds trigger those nerve sensors way harder than sugar, and you've got a product that seems like a magical substitute. Uh, For example, a 2.8-gram sugar packet contains 11 calories. A 2.8-gram packet of aspartame-based sugar substitute contains about 3 calories and a whole bunch of filler to make up those crystals. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, okay. Okay. Uh, let's, let's, let's run some industry numbers. Sure. Um, per year, we produced, we produced 34 million, million pounds of aspartame. As of 2016, the global consumption of all high-intensity artificial sweeteners was over 146,000 metric tons, which by, by, by sweetness is equivalent to over 21 million metric tons of sugar. Wow. In the United States, we consume a lot of sugar substitutes. Uh, based on data from the National Health and Nutrition Examination Survey that was taken between 2009 and 2012, 41% of adults and about 25% of children reported consuming sugar substitutes. Uh-huh. 25% of children, that's the number yeah. that made me go... Um, and that actually might be a conservative number. Many packaged foods that are marketed as healthy, you know, yeah. yogurt, granola bars, juice, juice cocktails, and, and other flavored beverages have started including artificial sweeteners in their recipes to keep their products' calorie counts low. So some folks might be eating them without even knowing it. Yeah. I went on a kind of a, um, I'm going to monitor how much sugar and how much sugar substitute I'm having in my diet and like try to lower the number. And I remember getting so... Discouraged, yeah, by how much it it was in so many things I would not have guessed. Yeah, I the, the one that makes me mad personally is stevia because I feel like a lot of companies are using it as a natural alternative, and the flavor of stevia, like there's a note to stevia that I hate. Oh, really? I dislike so much. So whenever <laughs> something's like, oh, it's zero calorie, I'm like, it's unsweetened, and then I'm like, crap. <laughs> Oh, this no. is the worst. Yeah. Uh, per- personal opinions aside, 
In 2017, the global market for high-intensity sweeteners was $2 billion. And while it's been kind of stagnating in the United States and Europe due to health trends away from soda consumption, uh, the market is growing really fast in China, the Middle East, and Africa, especially in developing areas that are newly gaining access to prepackaged food and beverage products. Yeah. And even in the U.S., it's still expected to grow pretty tremendously over the next decade. We have quite the sweet tooth. Yes. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's go over some of these. Yeah, um, I, I love the thread that connects the origin stories of basically all of these things. And that thread is is bad science. It really is. <laughs> it really is. And on that note... <laughs> Let's take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach! Give me great food. Tacos! Give me adventure. Hiking! Give me a date night. Sunset cruise! Give me some smiles. Cheese! Give me more beaches. Beaches! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. Okay. So the first artificial sweetener to arrive on the scene was saccharin. In 1897, a researcher at John Hopkins University was looking for possible ways to use up leftover coal tar derivatives. Yay! Just, that's a great yep. start already. Yep. Petroleum industry <laughs> right there at the top. Perfect. Uh-huh. Promising start. Yep. Perhaps distracted by this mission, one day he sat down to lunch and he got a taste of something sweet on his fingers. He'd forgotten to wash his hands. Mm-hmm. He went back to the lab searching for the culprit and eliminated everything but 
Yep, the coal tar derivative, benzoic sulfamide, which is about 300 times sweeter than sugar. That, that's very <laughs> difficult for me to believe, but it is true. The fellow who discovered this, Constantin Fallberg, originally listed the lab's owner, Ira Remsen, as the co-discoverer in a paper he published in 1879. But once he gave it <laughs> some thought and realized how much money he could make, he named himself the sole creator on the 1886 patent. Uh. When later asked about this, Remsen said of Fallberg, He is a scoundrel. It nauseates me to hear my name mentioned in the same breath with him. Wow. I know. Oh, passion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Fair. I mean, that's a lot of money, yeah. It is. The use of it spread fairly quickly, and by 1907, it was in all kinds of sodas and canned goods without public knowledge. In fact, the first thing Monsanto sold was saccharin. Oh, Monsanto. Yeah, they're going to be coming coming up again. Okay. The head of the chemical division of the United States Department of Agriculture, Harvey Wiley, tried to get saccharin banned, but a certain Theodore Roosevelt got in his way. This was after Wiley told Roosevelt, everyone who ate that sweet corn was deceived. He thought he was eating sugar when in point of fact he was eating a coal tar product totally devoid of food value and extremely injurious <laughs> to the health. Roosevelt followed up with this dignified response. Anybody who says saccharin is injurious to the health is an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Roosevelt had been prescribed uh, saccharin use by his doctor for for weight loss purposes. That that might be influencing his point of view there somewhat. I don't know, Lauren. That might be too logical. (laughs) Saccharin was frequently used medicinally. You could get it either as a pill or a powder, and doctors might prescribe it uh, to treat maladies like headaches or nausea or obesity, in Roosevelt's case. Roosevelt couldn't stay in the way forever, though, and saccharin was banned in 1907. But wait, you might be thinking, isn't saccharin still something I can buy? Hmm. Hmm. Why, yes, it is. The sugar rationing of World War I led to the band's reversal, and once the war was over, people were like, eh. Hell, yeah, we're used to it now. Just keep it coming. Yeah. yeah. You know what? No problems here. <laughs> the next big entry in the artificial sweetener arena was made largely in response to the diet soda craze of the 1950s. And I'm talking about cyclomate. <laughs> Which I had basically never heard of until Me we did this either. episode. Because it... Well, well, well you'll, you'll hear the story. You'll hear it. This stuff sweetened Diet Pepsi and Tab, both of which almost tripled their market share between 1963 and 1967. You might know it from packets of Sweet and Low. Or not! Really? <laughs> because it's not, it's not what's in there anymore. More like, Sweet and No, am I right? But I <laughs> Yes. I have a whole career that I would fail in immediately. Uh, it, it was discovered several years prior in a weirdly similar way to saccharin. A researcher was working on a fever-reducing drug at the University of Illinois, and he tasted some mysterious sweetness on his fingers during a smoke break. Seriously, this could have been finger-licking poisonous. <laughs> but... <laughs> Uh, Hygiene and science people. Oh, sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess he was smoking. Anyway, this Uh chemical substance was cyclomate, and it boasted sweetness level 30 to 50 times higher than sugar. It was so popular that by 1963, it was America's favorite. 
as in 17 million pounds consumed per year in the U.S. by 1968. I mean, a tenth of the price of sugar and of the calories. What could be wrong with that? It's magical. Yeah. Hmm. It turns out there's a couple of things wrong with it. Oh. Uh, all that sweet, sweet, calorie-free cash flow came to an end after a study in the 1970s seemed to suggest that cyclamate caused bladder cancer in rats. The FDA banned the stuff almost immediately after. Uh, later, research would indicate that cyclamate does not cause cancer, either alone or when used with saccharin, which was the main concern at the time, that the combination yeah. of saccharin and cyclamate was doing something wiggy. Um, <laughs> a reapproval petition was filed with the FDA, but it has been languishing in abeyance. That is, it is not actively being considered. Yeah, like we said at the top of the show, it's used widely in the rest of the world, but yeah. it never came back here. No, interesting. The cyclamate in those packets of sweet and low, they were replaced by saccharin, which itself barely escaped unscathed. The president of the Cumberland Packing Corporation, which was behind the saccharin-based reformulation of sweet and low, and the Calorie Control Council hmm. blitzed TV and radio programs and took out ads in the paper urging people to write in to their congressmen against the ban, calling it another example of BIG GOVERNMENT, <laughs> all caps. <laughs> Within a week of the ban taking effect, Congress was inundated with over a million letters protesting it. Senator Ted Kennedy put it on hold, and a two-year moratorium was placed on the ban in order to do some more research. Instead of being banned, the Saccharin Study and Labeling Act of 1977 required saccharin to come with this label. Use of this product may be hazardous to your health. This product contains saccharin, which has been determined to cause cancer in laboratory animals. Hmm. Canada banned it, but in the U.S. it didn't seem to do much. Forty million Americans use saccharin every day by 1979. Mm-hmm. The legitimacy of this study's findings has been called into question, too, by some. In 1974, the National Academy of Sciences took all the studies that had been done on saccharin and concluded it did not cause cancer in humans. However, we know from the sugar episode that that study could have been flawed, too. Like, <laughs> yeah, There's a lot of power and money involved in all of this, and it's I don't I don't know who to trust. Dear mm-hmm. listeners, um, the although okay, okay, so it is true that the original researchers who were studying saccharin, who found that all that bladder cancer, yeah. um, they had been using a breed of rats that are frequently infected by this one parasite that leaves the rats susceptible to bladder cancer. Mm-hmm. So that's a strike against it. Um, further studies also revealed that rats' urine is different from humans' urine. It contains different compounds. And some of the compounds in rats' urine react with compounds in saccharin and create bladder damage. After a similar study was conducted on the much closer to humans, primates uh, did not produce the same results as it had with rats. The primates did not get bladder cancer. Saccharin was removed from the list of things that might cause cancer compiled by the U.S. National Toxicology Program. The FDA and the state of California followed suit in 2001, removing saccharin from their list of potential carcinogens. And in 2010, the Environmental Protection Agency, the EPA, did the same, stating, quote, saccharin is no longer considered a potential hazard to human health. Hmm. Hmm. The soft drink industry, which accounted for 75% of the 5 million pounds of saccharin used in the U.S., fought against this labeling act, but they did not succeed. This time. This time. Just this once. Yes. 
With Cyclomate out of the game, there was a power vacuum Ooh, in the world <laughs> of artificial sweeteners. So we have to step back a bit to 1965, when researcher James Schlatter was attempting to find a cure for stomach ulcers for G.D. Searle and company. You'll never believe what happened. What? Did he, did he lick his fingers? He totally did. <laughs> he accidentally <laughs> licked his fingers and got a taste of something sweet. As my world history teacher used to say, time is like the coils of a slinky. Uh, <laughs> 180 times sweeter than sugar it was. Uh, this amino acid compound was given the name aspartame. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, aspartame. Oh, aspartame. Both sugar and aspartame have about four calories per gram, but since aspartame is so much sweeter, you need way, way less of it. Oh, yeah. Searle started doing tests right away in order to be approved as food additive by the FDA. The first test was conducted in 1967 on seven monkeys. The monkeys were fed a mixture of milk and aspartame over about a year-long period. One died and five others had grand mal seizures. Oh. Yeah. The methodology had several problems, though. There was no control group, for oh. instance. That's not a that's not a science. Yeah, that's like, what were you even doing? Yeah. Um, it was not a good start. Searle released an internal memo detailing a strategy to get the FDA on board with aspartame in 1970. A year later, a neuroscientist by the name of Dr. John Olney let Searle know that his test showed that the aspartic acid bit of aspartame caused holes in the brains of baby mice. Oh. Yeah. This was the same fellow who got monosodium glutamate removed from baby food, hmm. just, just so you know. A researcher at Searle reproduced the same results, so their own researcher came to the same conclusion. Hmm. The FDA delayed its release in 1974 due to the resulting concern that, hey, maybe it causes brain tumors. Dr. Olney filed one of the first objections against aspartame that year, one of two that he would file. The FDA investigated Searle's lab, and the investigators reported that the data was manipulated and that they had, quote, never seen anything as bad as Searle's testing. Oh. Yeah. Because of this, they formally asked the office of the U.S. attorney to start the process of a grand jury to investigate whether or not Searle should be indicted for, quote, concealing material facts and making false statements. Oh. And you might recall from our Miracle Berry episode that this yeah. was the same year that that company was um, intending to start selling the Miracle Berry extract Miraculin. Which makes things taste much sweeter than they are. Yeah. You know, interesting. Interesting. It's, it's, a, it's a fun, yeah, it's a, it's a heck of a coincidence. <laughs> it is. In 1977, the FDA investigators released the Bressler Report, which revealed that in one of Searle's studies, 96 of the 198 animal test subjects died. Oh. And then the autopsies were delayed, <laughs> sometimes up for a year, up to a year. It also listed several inaccuracies and inconsistencies in the Searle study. The grand jury was dropped later that year when the attorney general at the time resigned and the statute of limitations on aspartame ran out. Mm. Hmm. But remember... This was the same year of Cyclomate's downfall and that harsh labeling act on saccharin. Aspartame desperately wanted to fill that void before anyone else did. Oh, but it was not quite in the cards yet. Not yet. The FDA had a, had a few more things to say. 
Two years later, they established a public board of inquiry to investigate NutraSweet aspartame. In 1980, the PBOI ruled that aspartame should not be approved, not until more research was done looking into the possible link to brain tumors. But aspartame forged ahead, entering the market in 1981 under the name NutraSweet. Oh. <laughs> and for the here's where it gets even crazier tidbit. Oh, uh, this, this, is, this is my favorite. Yep. <laughs> you know who was CEO of Sirloin Company in 1981, the same year that whole bunch of brain tumor report came out, which happened to be the same year that Ronald Reagan became president? Who, who was that CEO? Why, it was Donald Rumsfeld. Donald Rumsfeld. Yeah, that Donald Rumsfeld. <laughs> He got a $12 million bonus when Monsanto acquired Searle in 1985. By the way... Hmm. Rumsfeld was on Reagan's transition team. This means he helped choose the new FDA commissioner, and he chose pharmacologist, a pharmacologist who had no experience working with food additives, one Dr. Arthur Hull Hayes Jr. The day after his inauguration, Reagan voided the FDA's decision on Searle with an executive order. Huh. I can't believe he did this the day the after. The day after. Searle wasted no time reapplying aspartame to get FDA approval for its use as a food sweetener. The new commissioner, Hayes, assembled a team of five scientists to revis revisit the ban on aspartame. And in a three-to-one vote, they decided to uphold it. Oh, so they were upholding the ban. Right. Oh, okay. Yeah. But why do we have aspartame? Hmm. Good question, Lauren. Uh, well, Hayes added another guy to the vote, you know. What? <laughs> Just in case. What? You can't do that. Oh, he did. Um, and this new fellow tied the vote at 3-3. Okay, so what happens if you tie a vote? Oh, you'll never guess. Uh, the tiebreaker is Hayes. Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. And he voted to overturn the ban. I can't. Oh. <laughs> Why did <story> even? It's <laughs> so crazy to me. It is. Um, by July 1981, he had approved the use of aspartame in dried goods. It was one of the few things he accomplished. Oh. oh, wow. I wrote this a while ago, and that's <laughs> one of the few things he accomplished. When, no, I think he left really soon after, though. He did. Um, he had to overcome and overlook a grand jury investigation and several reports and recommendations claiming that aspartame was not fit for people by eating to get this approved, by the way. And by late 1983, he had left. Yep, in part due to the increasing number of accusations that he was accepting bribes from big corporations. <laughs> One of his last acts as FDA commissioner was approving aspartame's use in beverages. He went on to work as a medical wow. advisor for Burson Marsteller. Uh, they handle public relations for both G.D. Searle and Monsanto. I believe um, Rachel Maddow was quoted saying something along the lines of um, evil has... Uh, burst and Marsteller on on speed dial for all their PR needs. <laughs> <laughs> oh, sick burn. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but hey, so so uh, speaking of beverages, yeah, let's let's talk about beverages for a second. Diet Coke launched around the same time that NutraSweet did, but the National Soft Drink Association, the NSDA, was not on board with aspartame at first. They had a couple of concerns. One. Aspartame is not very stable in liquid form. It's kind of important for sodas, yeah. Yeah. Uh -huh. sure. <laughs> Two, in temperatures over 85 degrees Fahrenheit, or 30 degrees Celsius, aspartame breaks down into two known toxins, formaldehyde and DKP. 
that is not good. No. However, the FDA and the NSDA logged an official complaint with them. The FDA believed that their concerns were more competition and financially based. Hmm. During the 80s, NutraSweet replaced over a billion pounds of sugar, over a billion pounds of sugar in the U.S. It can now be found in over 6,000 food products under the new brand name AminoSweet. As far as those artificial packets go that you'll find on tables and restaurants, aspartame is known as Equal. Hmm. And um, to be fair to the FDA, they're... I'm sure there was competition involved. Um, Coke. Oh, sure. It, it was who – I think Pepsi had already adopted it, so they had a head start. Ah. Uh, and so they were like, no. You know, there was, there's a lot of things at play. Yeah. The FDA does require products containing aspartame to come with a label stating that it should not be consumed by people with certain rare liver, liver disorders, people with genetic disorder, phenylketonuria, or – Pregnant women with high levels of phenylalanine in their blood. I was practicing saying that earlier, and I got like my tongue was just. You just you just nailed it. I hope so. <laughs> that was that was great. Um, and and the reason for that is that uh, people with those disorders, the uh, way that your body metabolizes some chemicals, is different from the normal average human person, and so you could. It, it it wouldn't be good. It would be it, it would have toxic effects. Aspartame due to those metabolistic differences. Um, aspartame, by the way, is produced partially by farming bacteria that excrete the compounds that that are contained in aspartame. So yes, aspartame is a result of my best most favorite bacteria poop. Well, at least there's that. I was yeah. wondering if it was going to come up in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and there you go. Yeah. This brings us to Splenda, or sucralose. This was invented in 1976 when a scientist working with a team to bond sucrose to chlorine misheard test as taste. (laughs) (laughs) And he tried some of the end product. Oh, I'm really glad he didn't die. (laughs) I am, too. I am very, very glad. It was super sweet, 600 times the sweetness of sugar. Wow. It was different Mm -hmm. from its predecessors in two big ways. The human body can metabolize it, and you could use it in baked goods because it was heat-stable. Mm. Thanks to that, it's now at the top of the artificial sweetener food chain in the U.S. because you can use it in baked goods. I mm-hmm. mean, yeah. In 1988, the FDA approved another artificial sweetener, acylfame potassium, for use in certain food and beverage categories. You might know it as Ace-K or Sweet One or Sunnet. I've never heard of any of those, but you might know it. <laughs> it's pretty soluble and also stable at high temperatures, so it can be used in all sorts of things. In 2002, it was approved for general use. Despite widespread use, controversy. Oh, so much controversy oh, did surround yeah. the use of these artificial sweeteners. From the get-go, especially aspartame, there was a whole group formed in 1985 called Aspartame Victims and Their Friends Incorporated. <laughs> oh. Yeah. And remember Dr. Only from earlier. He was the one who had the report about the brain tumor's possible connection to aspartame. He published a study in 1996 that connected aspartame to brain tumors. Again. Again. However, it was later widely dismissed as flawed and relying on insubstantial data. Throughout the 2000s, more research would seem to exonerate aspartame, showing no links to cancer in mice in one intensive study and no links to humans across a review of studies from 1990 to 2012, and also no links to humans based on data from over half a million retirees in the National Institutes of Health AARP Diet and Health Study. 
one study in rats did find a link, but they refused to provide data to the FDA for further perusal, and the FDA would dismiss their findings uh, with a report that the study was flawed based on what little they did know Hmm. about it. Uh, Similarly, a study in mice that linked sucralose or Splenda to blood cell tumors was dismissed. Interesting. Hmm. Controversy or no, thanks to increasing concerns about sugar, (laughs) we've talked about that before, Mm -hmm. coupled with American beauty standards, you know, need to be thin, consumption of artificial sweeteners shot way up in the 90s. In 2000, Congress removed saccharin's warning label. That banned moratorium we mentioned earlier, yeah, up until this point, they've just been kind of renewing it every two years. Yeah. Put it off. Yeah. We'll deal with it in two more years. Sure. Yeah. They still kind of function the same way in our government. Yep. Um, in 1995, the FDA approved Stevia's use as a dietary supplement, and the wording is key there. Stevia comes from a South American plant and has centuries-long history of use oh, yeah. by the locals to sweeten things, and we'll have to do a whole whole other episode on it. Absolutely. But in the context of artificial sweeteners, several studies supported the idea that stevia was safe at a daily intake level of 4 milligrams per kilogram of body weight. All products with artificial sweeteners have a limit for the amount that can be used, by the way. It's generally really, really high. Like you would have to either be eating the pure stuff or more food items than I can personally imagine eating in a single day. And that's quite a lot. That is, I can imagine. Yes, indeed. It is our job after all. Uh, The FDA rejected stevia's use as a food ingredient before allowing it as a dietary supplement under the condition it has to be labeled as such. Mm. Canada and the European Union have similar restrictions. And this brings us to tagatives. Oh, (laughs) I had so much fun trying to understand this one. Yeah. Tagatives was developed by Spherix Incorporated and first entered the U.S. market after the FDA gave it the go-ahead in 2003 in the form of a Diet Pepsi Slurpee. Diet Pepsi Slurpee. (laughs) Kellogg got a patent for it the previous year for use in, quote, improved, sucrose-free, non-carcinogenic, reduced-calorie, insulin-independent cereals. (laughs) That is quite... The name. That is a health claim for sure. It is. This stuff is currently the closest to sugar in the lot. Although I will say there's a lot of research ongoing about this. So by the time this comes out, that could change. (laughs) Yes. But at the time of research, this was the case. It's a little less sweet than sugar by about 8%, but with 38% of the calories. Ah. It bakes like sugar. And there are preliminary studies looking at its viability as an anti-diabetic drug. The guy behind Tagatose is Gilbert Levin. And uh, this guy, he's very interesting. While at John Hopkins University, he got the idea to add nutrients laced with radiation to water samples, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm, which would then give off small levels of radioactive carbon dioxide that could be detected with a Geiger counter. Okay. Okay. He, he intended it to be a way to more quickly test if there was bacteria hanging around, possibly with nefarious intent in <laughs> pools and in beaches, in beaches, at beaches. The experiment worked. Hmm. However, <laughs> people were a little wary of radiation and didn't really want anything to do with it, especially in water that they might be you know, gallivanting about yeah, sure. I can, I can see that, yeah. Yeah, those people, I don't know. He, he wasn't ready to give up on it, though. In 1976, he convinced NASA 
to use this method to test for life on Mars,、ah. which they did. What? Yeah, and the results are positive. Wait, what? Have we known about life on Mars this whole time? I don't think so. No. Oh.、Um, well, Levin thinks so. <laughs> NASA, not so much, saying it was interesting, but we can't jump straight to life on Mars from those results alone. NASA told Levin basically, "Go back to school, kid, and maybe we'll revisit this." And he did. He returned to John Hopkins for environmental engineering, and while there, he learned about left-handed sugar and right-handed sugar. Okay, what、Both. sugar? Sugar doesn't write things. How <laughs> that I'm、I、aware of. Had so much fun explaining this to like anyone who would listen over <laughs> over the holidays. Okay. okay, explain to us. Okay, all right. This has to do with chirality. Chirality or chiral, chiral chemistry is this principle that complex molecules have two forms: right-handed or left-handed. A Wired article I was reading about this gave a simple explanation that I'm going to borrow because it's great.、Mm-hmm. Okay, if you hold your hands out in front of you, with the palms facing each other, each one representing a complex molecule, they're pretty much identical. You lay one hand on top of the other hand, and they match up, right?、Uh, if, however, you lay one hand on the other hand, like if you put it down on the table and then put the other one down on top of it, they don't match up. Hmm.、Ah. Yeah, that's your right-handed and left-handed molecule. And when it comes to molecules and not hands, it's the difference between element structure. They are non-superimposable. The Latin words for right and left, dexter and lavis, different differentiate between D-glucose and L-glucose. D-glucose is what we know as table sugar, right-handed sugar. L-glucose is pretty rare. Both D and L types respond the same in a chemical reaction, but not the same in a biological reaction, aka inside your body. Ah, your stomach can digest D-glucose. But it doesn't do such a good job with L glucose. Oh, okay. Yeah, see、right. where this is going. Yeah. Okay, back to Levin. He got the idea that since our body can't metabolize left-handed sugar, it would pretty much be the same as sugar, but with less calories. When he did a taste test with right and left-handed sugars, his test subjects couldn't tell the difference. So he acquired ten patents for L glucose's use in food products, and spent the next five years trying out different options of L glucose and L fructose, but found them largely too expensive to be viable.、Ah. Then he tried a sample of D tagatose after the producer accidentally sent it along in the place of L tagatose. So D tagatose, or right-handed tagatose, has the molecular structure that closely resembles L fructose. Left-handed fructose, which means that your stomach has the same trouble digesting it as it would L-fructose, only able to absorb about 25%. His company, Spherix, figured out a cheap way to make tagatose, and they patented the process in the 80s. Wow! It took about two decades before they got the generally recognized as safe designation from the FDA as a food additive. The Wired article I read about this was really positive. But there's、huh. still a lot of research to be done, yeah. And I couldn't find much more about it, although I did find an article on NASA's website about it.、Um, huh. Yeah. So I, I mean, I'm skeptical. Maybe call me a cynic, but interesting, very interesting. I had such a good time <laughs> reading about that one. Yeah. Yeah. 
NutraSweet Corporation's 20-year campaign for superior sweetener led to the development of a version of aspartame they named Neotame. It's similar to aspartame, but it's more stable and can be used in baked goods. Ah! Approved by the FDA for general use apart from meat in 2002, it first showed up in American stores in 2006. The reviews were mixed. I actually read it kind of tastes like licorice. Yeah. Um, it can range anywhere from 7,000 to 13,000 times the sweetness level of sugar. But that sweetness, it, it takes a while. It, like, builds up. Um, and, yeah, it, with the flavor, people uh, weren't weren't too big of fans about it. So it's usually combined with other artificial sweeteners. Ah, uh-huh. In 2014, the FDA approved another artificial sweetener for general use, again, apart from meat and poultry, that's similar to aspartame, Adventame. Adventame. Yeah, it hasn't been used in many things yet. Still new. But those are your... Those are your main ones. Yeah. And they, yeah, they do have a very hilarious and sad (laughs) thread of bad science and accidental licking of fingers. Yeah. (laughs) Practice good science hygiene, friends, please. Mm -hmm. Uh, well, and while you're doing that, uh, we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Let's hit it! Give me a vacation! Vacation! Give me a wave! Surfing! Give me a city tour! The trolley! Give me animals! Zoo! Give me some sea life! <laughs> Give me museums! Park. Give me a woo! Roller coaster! What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month. No matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Oh, we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. I hope all you listeners were very hygienic during that break. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, because we are about to uh, dig out or try to dig out some of the truth about the health effects mm-hmm. of all of these artificial sweeteners. Yes. Which 
Oh, it's really tricky to do. Yeah. Uh, I did a lot of reading, and I feel like I came away more confused than I started out with. What's that quote, like, the more I the more I know, the less I know or something? Yeah, it's usually applied, or, or an iteration of it is, is often applied to particle physics. Like, like, if you think that you know anything about particle physics, then you... D- you don't know. Yeah. <laughs> there is no spoon. Yeah. Uh, okay, so reasons why it is so difficult to get to the bottom of all of this nutritional health information about artificial sweeteners. First off, some are relatively new, and you really do need to follow a cohort of people through essentially their entire lives to get a very good idea of the health effects of, of, of what they consume. Yeah. Secondly, y'all, the human body is complicated, and every person's body works a little bit differently. So isolating the health effects of any single product is its rough even under the, the, the best of scientific rigor and intention. And third, due to all of that tremendous money and power that's involved in the sugar industry, and thus also the artificial sweetener industry, n- no one is sure how rigorous and well-intentioned all of this research into artificial sweeteners really has been. Yeah. Yay! Who do we trust? Oh, I don't know. This 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 is one of those, like, I, I'm, like, genuinely, like, it's a conspiracy. It's all a conspiracy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, okay, so the big question is, do artificial sweeteners really help people lose weight? Do they? Unfortunately, science says probably not. Oh, man. A review that was published in 2017 looked at 37 studies into sugar substitute use and weight management and other health outcomes. And it found that artificial sweetener use had no impact on body mass index, or even, in some studies, a small increase in BMI, decline in kidney function, increase in the chance of developing type 2 diabetes, and an increase in the chance of cardiovascular events. Ugh. And there are hypotheses aplenty on why this might be. Psychologically, foods made with sugar substitutes might lead you to binge on real sugar products or, or other foods later because you feel like you've been good and can afford the splurge. <laughs> yeah. Artificial sugar stuff might also intensify your craving for sweets rather than help you consume fewer sweet foods overall. Right. Kind of like a tolerance building almost. Uh, yeah, sure, sure. Artificial sweeteners might affect the bacteria in your gut in oh. ways that change your metabolism for the worse. Oh, no. um, in studies with both mice and men, subjects that consumed artificial sweeteners had changes in their gut mi- microbiomes. Some organisms thrived more than usual, and the populations of others diminished. These changes were correlated with changes in the subject's glucose levels, which began to indicate pre-diabetic symptoms in some of those subjects. More research needs to be done, but yeah. Yeah. Who? That sound. That's perfect sound. Um, and studies in animals have even shown that artificial sweeteners may change the way that our bodies process real sugar. Oh, wow. This also ties into the psychology thing a little bit. Uh, rats have been shown to lose the ability to regulate how much real sugar food they eat and thus lose the ability to moderate their weight after they've been given low-calorie, artificial, artificially sweetened foods. Mm-hmm. But this is also a biological response. So it's not just overeating. There's also biology going on. 
there's, okay, so there's this phase of digestion that begins before food even passes your lips. What? Yeah. Sounds crazy, but it's called the cephalic phase. And that is when uh, the sight, smell, or even the thought of food triggers this kind of Pavlovian response. Like we're hungry, we're thinking about eating. So our nervous system through our vagus nerve gets our stomach ready to go (laughs) by secreting digestive fluids and, and doing all this other stuff. And this preparation phase is thought to help our bodies control our sugar uptake when we do actually consume food. Okay. And research in rats has shown that that artificially sweetened foods mess with that process. Animals that were switched back and forth between artificially sweetened and real sugar-based foods saw blood sugar level spikes when they ate the real sugar stuff more than animals that were just fed regular sugar foods. Mm-hmm. And even more disturbingly, animals that had been given artificially sweetened foods and were then tube-fed real sugar foods that would bypass their taste buds they didn't get those blood sugar spikes. Again, like more research needs to be done, but this indicates or seems to indicate rather that the taste of artificially sweetened foods followed by their lack of caloric payout during digestion trains rats' bodies to just freak the heck out and grab up any real sugar available whenever they taste anything sweet, leading to greater weight gain in the long run. One of the things that upsets me the most, and it's come up in several of our episodes, is when people think they're they're told, they're marketed, yeah. you're making the healthier choice, or even not even healthier necessarily in this case, but you're going to lose weight. You're going to you... lose weight, right, because you're going to be consuming fewer calories, weight loss, and instead, period. And instead, there's, oh, yeah. I mean, and, uh, yeah, uh, again, Much disclaimer. Yes. A lot of this, especially the research in animals, you know, right? Like yeah. you can't, you cannot make a one-to-one correlation there. But if, but if, but if this is true, <laughs> and it does line up with all of that other uh, research that has been done in people that has not shown right. uh, weight loss success using artificial sweeteners. Yeah, there are so many articles about this. If you would like to do your own research and try to make some sense of it, but. It, I think we're just at a stage where we don't know right now. Yeah. I, I think like the all, – all, all, everything I was reading, the best advice, not that scientists are necessarily, you know, give, <laughs> give, given advice. Out. Usually this is in the articles about the science. But um, it, the best advice is to try to switch to unsweetened foods wherever possible. You know, no sweetener in your coffee. Yeah. Uh, plain milk rather than a uh, flavor flavored milk. Plain yogurt rather than, yeah. Yeah. And um, I did notice when I did my, like, I'm going to control all the sugar and artificial sweetener that you do. There is sort of a tolerance that you build. And then when you get rid of it, um, you'll find that things are, it doesn't take as much to sweeten things. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I I switched from diet sodas to unsweetened iced tea Mm -hmm. a few years ago. And it took a minute. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's not easy. It was so bitter. It, every, it was so bitter at first, and I was really unhappy about it. But once I got used to it, yeah, I, I've always had kind of a low tolerance for sugar and dessert, but mm-hmm. sweetened beverages especially taste so sweet to me now. Yeah. Like, unbelievably sweet. Yeah, me too. Um, so I don't know. You know, 
it's and and that's also not to not to preach at you like like why no. haven't you done that no 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 just if this is something you're concerned about or looking into these are our experiences yeah yeah this this is this has worked kind of for us and, <laughs> we're, I don't know. we're functioning I just made this like wishy washy hand yeah, gesture. Yeah. Hey, we both we both put on pants today. We're both we're both in a podcast studio doing our jobs. Success. Success. Yes. I I ate cookies for lunch. It's fine. Depending on how you define success. <laughs> that succeeds, I don't know. <laughs> cookies for lunch sounds good to me. Uh that brings us to the end. Oh. Of artificial sweeteners. Yeah. Uh, you know, with a couple of footnotes to come back to things later. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, if if uh, you are you are left with any questions, then write in and let us know. Yeah. But in the meanwhile, let's hear from a couple of people who have already written in to let us know some things. She's talking about listener mail. Listener mail! Okay. First, I wanted to start out with a shout out to Kirsten. She sent us a mock you podcast called Stuff in Your Face, and it was awesome. Yes. Oh. It was so good. Thank you, Kirsten. Yes. Can, keep them coming. Please. Oh, yeah. Delightful. It was really delightful. Yes. Kenrick wrote, I love listening to your podcast, but I hate what it does to my stomach. <laughs> I listened to your popcorn episode while eating a huge bowl of it. Immediately had to get donuts after the jelly donut episode and had to stop the cheese podcast midway to go buy a cheese platter <laughs> because my stomach growled so badly. Uh, I am an outdoor enthusiast, and I always bring a cold Coke for the last peak I'm on. Uh, uh -huh. It's something to look forward to, and the caffeine and sugar boost helps my weary muscles. I had just begun an eight-mile, three-peak hike in Phoenix, Arizona, when I decided to listen to your soda episode. I just couldn't resist. The 75-degree weather certainly didn't help, and I drank my peak Coke after the first mile. <laughs> Don't worry. I only blame myself. <laughs> yeah. Oh, this is a major problem. We face this. Mm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's – I – as I mentioned in our McDonald's episode, I can see a McDonald's location from my desk. <laughs> and if I hadn't forgotten my wallet today, I certainly would have gone downstairs <laughs> and ordered a fancy, fancy burger and fries for lunch. I think that – I've given in many times, but the ramen one was the, the one where I – like, I had to. Oh, yeah. That was – that was one of the more intense ones. Yes. Mm. Oh, ramen. Oh, ramen. Here's one that not, we might not necessarily <laughs> <laughs> give in to. We have not yet. Uh, Lita wrote in about durian. I hadn't heard about this fruit until I told my coworker that I was traveling to Thailand this past fall. Pretty much the first thing he told me was to watch out for durian. I laughed and didn't think about it until I arrived in Thailand a few months later. And let me tell you, it was everywhere. My friend wanted to store her giant suitcase at the airport, and that was where I saw my first no-cut durian sign. Then I turned to the corner, and the, and the Dairy Queen in the airport had durian blizzards. <gasps> Nearly every day I saw some form of durian sold in the street markets. I'm ashamed to say that I wasn't brave enough to try fresh durian while I was there. However, I brought home some durian toffees, more like a taffy than a toffee, and some freeze-dried durian to share with my coworker. The toffees were just generally sweet and not too smelly. The freeze-dried durian, on the other hand, well, let me just say I shouldn't have opened it in my office. <laughs> First of all, I opened the vacuum-sealed bag and the smell hit me in the face, only to realize that the actual pieces of fruit were still sealed in little individual bags. 
The smell was so strong, but we were brave and tried it anyway. To me, it tasted like garlic and onions, but not in a good way. The flavor stuck with me the rest of the day, and I had many durian burps for so long. We threw away the rest, but the smell continued to fill my office, so I switched my trash can with one in an empty office down the hall. I'm assuming that the freeze-dried version doesn't do fresh durian justice, so I guess I'll just have to venture back to Thailand and be brave this time. We've got to try this, Lauren. Yeah, I found I found some. You did. I found some uh, some some fresh frozen some whole frozen durian at one of our local international markets, and. I mean, they're huge. Yeah, they're enormous. They're big. They're like they're like the size of my head. Yeah, we need. I don't want to become a pariah on the office. Oh no 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 outside. Yeah, we need to find a place outside. Yeah, I do have a backyard. Oh yes. How would your roommates feel? <laughs> oh, you know, whatever. <laughs> okay. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> Hello, Lauren's roommates. If you're listening, sorry. <laughs> Thank you to. All of you guys for writing in and yeah. for the Maki podcast, Kirsten. That was awesome. Yes. Uh, if you would like to write in, you can do so. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Twitter and Facebook at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We're also on Instagram at foodstuff. We hope so much to hear from you. Thank you to our amazing producer, Dylan, with a beautiful smile. And <laughs> thanks to y'all for listening. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. This episode is brought to you by Pronamel. Not all our favorite foods and drinks are BFFs with our teeth. Salad dressing, seltzers, and fruits can be enamel enemies. So if you eat or drink those things regularly, your enamel could be at risk. And once it's gone, it's gone. Pronamel Intensive Enamel Repair penetrates deep into the enamel surface, locking in vital minerals to repair acid-weakened enamel. And with new Pronamel Repair mouthwash, you can enhance that repair beyond just brushing. Pronamel is the number one dentist-recommended brand for acid erosion, so buy Pronamel Repair anywhere you buy toothpaste or mouthwash. Visit Pronamel.com. Ready? Okay. Give me a beach. Beach. Give me great food. Tacos. Give me adventure. Hiking. Give me a date night. Sunset cruise. Give me some smiles. Cheese. Give me more beaches. Beaches. What's that spell? San Diego. If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your trip at san diego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.